Well, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Rusty Bland, and it's my pleasure to um, welcome you to the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation Integrate podcast. First time that I'm hosting, so it's, it's exciting. And I'm here with author and speaker and consultant, Dr. Paul White. Uh, so, Dr. White, it's a pleasure to be with you here today. Welcome to the Thanks. podcast. Thank you, Rusty. I'm glad to be with you. Um, just to kick things off, it'd be it'd be wonderful if you could um, just give a, a bit of a background on yourself, um, maybe highlights, uh, sure. your family, your journey, um, things that stick out that you would want the listeners to hear about. Sure. So uh, I grew up outside of Kansas City in Lawrence, Kansas, where the University of Kansas is. So I'm a KU basketball fan and uh, grew up in the context uh, both of a Christian home and a family owned business. And um I had the privilege of, you know, growing up in a context where I accepted Christ as a young guy and then uh, wound up going to Wheaton uh, and uh, met my wife there. And it was a great experience for me. Uh, moved from there to Phoenix, went to Arizona State, got my master's in counseling, Ph.D. in Georgia State in Atlanta, became a psychologist. Wasn't something I was really <laughs> initially intending to do, but did and uh, for a number of years uh, specialized in evaluating students that have learning difficulties, ADHD and dyslexia, that kind of stuff. But because of my background with my family business, um, some business consultants approached me because they kept running into family issues because, you know, 85% of all the companies in the U.S. are family owned. And so I wound up for a number of years, 15 plus years, traveling around the country, working with uh, successful family businesses and dealing with the family issues intertwined both with working together and especially business succession and wealth transfer planning and helped sort of uh, deal with that. And it was in the midst of that that sort of took this turn towards the five languages. Um, I was in North Carolina working with a CEO uh, and dad and I asked him how the succession plan was going. He said, it's going well. I think my son's stepping up. It's going to be fine. I walk across the hall, ask the son the same question. He says, this is a disaster. I can never please my dad. And so they were, you know, not connecting. And at that time, my wife and I probably were rereading the five love languages by Dr. Chapman. And I just wondered if maybe the five languages concept could apply to work-based relationships. So I pursued Dr. Chapman and uh, we agreed to work on an online assessment, which became the motivating by appreciation inventory. We've had over 300,000 people worldwide take that develop some training materials that we now have a, a thousand facilitators trained across the world and then wrote the book together the five languages of appreciation in the workplace um which has done well it's 500,000 copies have been wow. sold wow. 25 languages but um and you know riding on his coattails for sure there's no doubt about that but mm. uh then had an opportunity to work with him on uh five books uh four actually and then i wrote one by myself on workplace relationships. And um, the most recent one came out in January of 22 on uh, making things right at work, which deals with dealing with conflict successfully at, at, in work. So been a real joy and pleasure to work with him and also to see, uh, you know, being able to impact uh, workplaces uh, in a positive way to help try to uh, focus on employee relationships and, and positive workplace cultures. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting how the workplace, um, and I suppose it's been happening for a while, but it's become such a such a place where um, 
frankly, biblical principles are needed. Ways of acting, ways of behaving, how we how we treat each other is uh, is an opportunity, I think, in some ways. Absolutely. I mean, we chose deliberately not to write from an overtly Christian perspective. So mm-hmm. our books could be used in the secular marketplace and it has in businesses, government, military and all that. And um, yeah, I mean, even just the foundation that people have value uh, intrinsically beyond performance is really yes. sort of a, a core aspect. And some people sort of get that and know that they don't necessarily know where it comes from for them. Um, Whereas, you know, we know that we're created in the image of God and, and have value yes. that way. So, yeah. and then the other things of just, you know, speaking truth in love and being mm-hmm. honest and direct. And yeah, I mean, if you just sort of follow, you know, uh, a lot of the biblical principles, uh, you're going to do well uh, in relating to others in, in a, an effective way. Oh, I love, I love how you put that because when you think about, the biblical story, the narrative is a relational, it's, it's a relational story and your writings and what your, you know, your passions have been are really about strengthening that and helping people overcome where perhaps they're broken. You, you use the word toxicity, you know, throughout some of your writings, which is really, I want to get to some of that, but, but really, I think that the, the question that maybe would be worth diving into at first is, so here we are after, you know, the last two years, right? And the workplace has has shifted, um, perhaps permanently. You know, it's being referred to as the future of work by many corners, um, right? So, from your perspective, how, how do you see those changes evolving? What are you seeing, maybe, from your clients, and and you know, just kind of the what, what's going to happen to relationships? How, how do those or how are those going to shift with the work with the marketplace? Well, you know, a key shift, obviously, is the the remote working from home hybrid, you know, model. And I think that is here to stay to some degree. I think the challenge is that working remotely, I mean, it's tough enough to communicate effectively face to face. And when you're with people, let alone you add, you know, the uh, electronic version, uh, because we miss a lot of nonverbal cues uh, that way. I mean, you can't see somebody's foot's tapping that they're anxious, you know, when you're on a Zoom call. Right. But uh, I think uh, I'm really concerned that companies are going to go one of two ways. Either they get it that they need to pay attention to relational issues uh, between their team members, that they have to stay connected with them, not just top down, but to help team members be connected um, and understand that their relationship is not just about getting things done, but it's about what's going on with the person. I mean, hopefully we'll learn that lesson through the working from home, how, uh, you know, life interferes and intersects with work and companies that pay attention to that are going to, I think, survive and do well. Companies that don't, I think they're going to just have a revolving door uh, of people and really a not very effective team uh, because when people feel valued, appreciated, things go better. I mean, there's less conflict, there's less turnover, uh, higher customer service ratings. A lot of good things happen when we stay connected and when we don't, and it takes effort, uh, especially remotely. Uh, If you don't pay attention to that, uh, things are gonna be tough. In in your most recent book that you wrote with 
um, Gary Chapman and Jennifer Thomas, uh, making things right at work. You talk about healthy work environment and a toxic work, work environment. And I wonder if you could just walk through what are some of the key elements that that turn an environment toxic? Yeah, you know, an, an interesting dynamic is when you, at least for me, when I research and write a book, I keep learning afterwards. And it's true, I wrote, a, we wrote a book called uh, Rising Above a Toxic Workplace. And even after that, still sort of, uh, learn some lessons that I think three key parts make a toxic workplace. One is that um, it's just not a very well-structured environment, that things are not clear as far as who's reporting to whom um, and communication, decision-making, all that. It's sort of chaotic, informal, not structured well. Secondly, you have toxic leaders. And it doesn't have to be at the top of the organization. I mean, you can have a toxic leader who's, a, you know, a department head or a, a lead team member. And we go into a fair amount of detail of what makes a toxic leader. I mean, the bottom line is that they're really only concerned about themselves and everything and everybody else mm -hmm. they use to fit their purposes and, and their goals, which sometimes coincide with the, the company's goals for a while, but usually it, it veers off. And then, and then we just have the issue of dysfunctional colleagues. And that's where this issue of uh, not taking responsibility, I mean, you blame, make excuses. They're really good at getting other people to fight. You know, it's sort of like when your kids, let's, let's see, you know, our two big brothers fight and sort of set them up, uh, that kind of thing, as well as just um, not working together well with others. And so if you have a poor structure, uh, sort of a sick system, you have dis dysfunctional uh, colleagues and toxic leaders. When those go together, it's, it's, it's a nasty workplace. And one of the hallmark characteristics is, is both negativity, but also indirect communication, where people either infer things, but they don't really say them out loud, and they're hoping people will sort of catch it, or they go around the person that they really need to go through to get a decision made or whatever. And uh, that creates all kinds of problems for, for organizations. Hmm. Once an environment turns toxic, um, are there ways that it can that that environment can be redeemed from your experience and, and turned into a healthy environment? Sure. I mean, if you take each one of those, one is you've got to structure the system correctly, right? I mean, uh, sort of found a, a group of industries that have a higher propensity to be toxic, I believe, hospitals, public schools, government agencies, especially social service government agencies, unfortunately, uh, ministries, wow. and in universities and colleges. And the reason is, is that lots of times the, there's a lack of clarity of who's reporting to whom, and also a lack of holding people accountable uh, to what mm -hmm. they're supposed to do. And so that then leads to all this sort of chaos and going around and so forth. And so cl cleaning up the system for accountability and clear communication. And then to be honest, you need to get rid of the toxic leaders. Um, it's in my part of the country, I'm from the Midwest and we have black walnut trees and they can grow a lot of walnuts, but they have a toxin in their roots and their leaves that nothing grows around them. So you yeah. can have black walnuts, but you're not gonna have anything else. And toxic leaders are sort of like that. They just poison the environment and you need to really get rid of them. Otherwise, you're going to have a revolving door around them as well. 
Um, and then I think the other part is to really people uh, respond when they feel valued and appreciated and teaching how to do that authentically versus just going through the motions and also not for it just to be a top down sort of organizational checklist kind of thing to do, but to teach team members how to do that at a person to person level so that it's not based on the org chart, but it's that you value something that somebody did or their character. That's so interesting that you listed out the organizations you did. Um, at least, you know, several of them are involved in in really shaping our our society. When you think about hospitals and schools and ministries. Yep. And yet those can be some of the most toxic, which I think is counterintuitive in some ways. Um, you know, you'd hope that those that are caring for would care for themselves, perhaps, but but it's not not the case from what you've seen. Yeah, the, the caring, it, they, they can hoodwink you a little bit because there is this mm. caring aspect. But there's also this thing, if you don't watch out, you're going to get stabbed in the back at the same time. And it was really a sad experience for me as we researched toxic workplaces that some of the worst stories came from ministries and churches. And uh, it was just sad. To, um, and there's some things that, you know, contribute to that, that we want to look good. We're supposed to, you know, there's all kinds of scriptures about becoming more Christ-like. And it's hard for us to live in that in-between where we're growing and still make mistakes and errors and how to deal with that both for, with ourselves and others. But, uh, you know, I think speaking the truth in love is really the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. The, the kingdom metrics, if we follow them, such as, you know, if you want to be great, you got to be like the least. I think can help us in that, but so often it seems like we, we, we don't see those examples for sure. Um, if you were to isolate some of the most common conflicts that you see, what would that look like in the workplace? Th things that even our listeners might go, well, okay, these are the ones I'm going to really, you know, sure, telltale that we've got to really focus on these, uh, these conflicts. You know, sometimes I'm embarrassed to be a psychologist because I say, you know, psychologists, you know, emphasize the obvious. And and some of this is pretty obvious. One is just miscommunication um, that let's say you have a meeting with a, a colleague and you come back tomorrow and you say, OK, did you call Mr. Smith? And they said, no, I thought you were going to call Mr. Smith. And he said, no, you said you were called Mr. Smith. And just, you know, not connecting and being clear about who's doing what and in another part of this is that sometimes people don't connect with the word conflict as much as maybe tension or friction because mm -hmm. it's like you know we're, I'm not, we're not in a fight but you know yeah. there's some friction there and so miscommunication and how do we deal with that one is you really focus on listening well and sort of that giving that feedback of what you hear people say especially when you have you're sort of creating a series of action steps okay now this is what we're going to do right and, you know, Bob is responsible. He's not necessarily going to do it, but he's going to make sure it's to get done and set a, an end date, you know, uh, and the simple things like that can really reduce the amount of tension and friction. So miscommunication. Secondly, I would say differences in perception. So let's say you have an event that you pull off. Maybe it's a, a fundraiser, if it's a nonprofit or a marketing event and you're debriefing it the next day and one team member thinks, man, that was great. I mean, we really hit the nail on the head of super. Another team member says, we missed the boat, man. It was just not what I thought it should be. 
I don't know that either one's wrong, but they have different perspectives. Um, and so, especially more and more as we work globally and with people from different cultures, that I think this is going to happen more and we have to work at understanding another team member's perspective. Uh, otherwise, you know, there's tension. And, and then the third part that sort of relates to that is attributing malintent when it's really not there. I mean, in that meeting, one person who maybe was in charge of the event could say or think, you know, they're throwing me under the bus. They're, you know, telling how bad it was when in actuality, um, the other person was just trying to uh, do some creative problem solving to help make it go better next time. And so it wasn't that they were out to get to the person, but we often sort of miss, uh, attribute, you know, malintent when it's not there. Well, it's clear that you're going to need to write another book that takes a lot of these principles into the Zoom world, I think, um, mm. given your earlier comments, because I think that's such a big deal of just trying to understand each other. How do you talk to each other? You need a common language. Right. And to that extent, I wonder if you could walk us through the languages of appreciation and how you've seen them play out. And just, you know, again, that's to me, one of the best tools is, okay, this is a, a baseline of languages that were a common set of words that we're going to use to describe the same thing. Yeah. yeah. It's just really helpful. Sure. Yeah. So the five languages are actually the same in name, both in appreciation and love uh, in personal relationships, but they look different, right? I mean, words, it's pretty simple. It's words of affirmation. We're affirming the value of somebody. Um, there's a misconception that when people hear appreciation, they think it's words. And actually, um, less than half of all employees choose words as their primary language. So if you're only using words, you're from the get-go missing, you know, over 50% uh, of your employees. But and it's it can be personal, it can be in writing and be just, you know, spoken. Um, we've found that about 40% of people don't like to be praised in front of others, especially large groups. So you've got to be careful about that. And there's some cultural differences as well. Um, and then, uh, and being specific, uh, we, we have a, I don't know, 75,000 people are in newsletter and we uh, do polls occasionally. And one of the things we ask is what don't you like to hear? And people don't like to hear good job. Yeah. And the reason is it's too vague. I mean, you could right. say it to anybody, doesn't take any time, thought or effort. So be really specific about, you know, Jennifer, thanks for getting your report done and in on time to me. And the third part that we talk about is the importance of that. That way it makes it easy for me to turn my report around and get it into my supervisor without stressing. So words is there. Quality time uh, is another language. And it's about one of out of every four employees choose quality time. We've just done some research with about 190,000 people and found that the younger the employee, the more they want quality time with their colleagues. So I tell leaders, just because you have a team member has quality time as their language, doesn't mean they want time with you. You may be wonderful, <laughs> you may be great, but yeah. it's really us older people that value time with our manager and supervisor. And so it, it takes, you know, uh, some orchestrating to, to figure out times, lunch times or getting together after work and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Access service is the next one. It's about one of every five employees and it's not, you know, rescuing a low performing uh, colleague. It's more when things are tough, when you're cramming on, you know, trying to bang away, getting a, a time limited project done, what's something somebody can do to help out, right? Whether that's sort of inter run interference and take care of sort of daily emails and phone calls so you can stay focused on the project or maybe delegate a little bit. 
Um, these people run by the, the sayings, you know, words are cheap. Don't uh, tell me you care, show me. And so you can actually sort of create some offense for them if you're praising them all the time and you never offer to help when, you know, a little hand could be helpful. Tangible gifts is the, the fourth language. It's not bonuses and raises. It's just small things that are showing that you're getting to know the other person. It, think about appreciation being person to person. It's like you bring in their favorite kind of coffee, you know, or you know that they uh, love the Cubs. And so you uh, at the beginning of the season, you get them a major league, you know, one of the magazines kinds of things, or um, you know that they're going to be planting a garden. And so you, you get them something that relates to that. It's not about the money. It really is here. It's the thought that counts that you're thinking about them, you're getting to know them and being able to demonstrate that. And then the last one that people always sort of wag about is, is physical touch uh, and understandably so um, it's less than 1% uh, of the population, by the way, tangible gifts, uh, is just 6% of, uh, of the workforce. And so oh, interesting. a lot of companies, I think, waste a lot of money, especially uh, when you give everybody the same thing, it has virtually no value to the recipient who uh, really values gifts. It needs to be personal. Physical touch is less than 1%, but it's, it's mainly spontaneous celebration, right? It's a high five when you finish a project, yeah. it's a fist bump, you solve a problem, maybe a congratulatory handshake. And it differs regionally. I mean, the Northeast, you know, they sort of just go, hey, you know, and sort of nod right. across the room. Right. You're fist south. bumping from a distance. <laughs> exactly. Gotcha. You know, so right. in the South, I lived in Atlanta for a while and, you know, they do side hooks. But culturally, you know, uh, our Latin friends are, are, are more physical uh, in their uh, relationships. Yeah. And so greeting one another with a hug or a kiss on the cheek. And so for them, it can feel very cold and mechanical and distant if there's no kind of celebration together. So, and what we found is that just knowing a person's language uh, of appreciation really isn't sufficient in the workplace. You need to know the specific actions. So our inventory, that's an online one and you can just buy it codes for your team members, um, both identifies a person's primary and secondary preferred language their least valued language, which is sort of a blind spot. It's the one you don't think about, but you're going to have colleagues that have it. And then we identify the specific actions and from whom you want those actions, whether it's your supervisor or colleague um, uh, within your primary language. So if it's time, it's like, yeah, I'd like to get together and watch sports, but you're not going to invite your supervisor. So that kind of thing. So if, if a leader, a manager, maybe a company owner wanted to um, engage with these really time-tested um, truths and bring them into their their companies, their departments, whatever, Where would, what would you, you suggest? Would they be best suited to maybe go online and, and have a, some assessments done or wh where would you send them? Yeah, uh, sort of the, the mothership website is appreciationatwork.com and it's the word at, so appreciationatwork.com. And there's a section on the five languages. There's a section on workplace, toxic workplaces. There's a section on uh, making things right at work and and sort of explore that. I mean, and there's, you know, obviously we have books and audio books and they're in different languages and the assessments and you can get a sample report to see what those are like. Uh, Cause we actually developed variations for different settings for general workplaces, for schools, medical settings, uh, government and so forth. So, and, and there's a, uh, uh, an email that you had any questions or a phone number, you can call us and we can help direct you which way uh, go, is best for you. 
Yeah. I, I think, you know, ha having done thousands of assessments in, in a company setting, yeah, uh, my, my sense is that when you do that, it, it really can transform a group. Um, and especially when, you know, I believe these are these are actually biblically formed perspectives, frankly, that um, are, are just true because they're true and people operate this way. So um, really, really cool. Um, I, I need to jump on this personally to kind of hone my own team, uh, I think. Um, now, you also talk about these apology languages. Right. I'm curious. Is that a different? That's um, actually embedded with, yeah, it's embedded within the making things right at work. And to be honest, we didn't use the word apology uh, too much in the book because in secular marketplaces, people don't admit that they're wrong, <laughs> let alone apologize too often. And but we it's like when you've messed up, what do you do? Right. And so some right. steps to take people through that. And, um, you know, on uh, on all of these, we really try to make it so that it's very practical. It's easy to understand. That's one of the things I think has helped. I mean, the people that are watching this are probably a, a lot of leaders and you need to know like both appreciation and the other kinds of things. It's not all for you. I mean, we found that teaching your team members how to communicate appreciation and encouragement is as important, if not more important than for you to learn about it. And so, and I grew up in the professionally in the not-for-profit and social service world, but there's not a lot of money for training. So we created low cost training alternatives. So you can have an internal HR person go through the training process so they can run it with multiple groups. You don't have to bring in an external one. You can if you want, but we wanted to make it easy and inexpensive. And to be honest, we've you know gone all the way across the country with DirecTV, with Caterpillar, lot, uh, lots of hospitals, Mayo Clinic uses ours, uh, St. Jude's Children's Hospital, government agencies, uh, NASA. Um, and so it's it's there to be practical and help you. It's we, We're not here to create another to-do list. Most Hardly anybody yeah. needs more to do. So we would want to make it effective to help settle things down and help really the goal is not just to make people feel good, it's to run a more effective, efficient uh, organization that gets things done in, in a mm. helpful Amen. way. I know we're running a bit long, I think, of, of the time, but I, I do want to get to this final question because I just think it's so significant. And we'll let the Wheaton folks, they can edit uh, however they want. Um, but you you talk about forgiveness and then this the lack of forgiveness. And um, again, so, like some of these other principles, you don't always talk about that in the workplace setting, but I, I find that to be a very, very big deal. And people get very locked up and business yeah. suffers if you're a shareholder. But frankly, it's just also people get in bondage. Yep. Um, you know, it's it's that old saying that lack to lack to forgive is is you drinking the poison and helping hoping somebody else dies. You know, it's it's really harmful. So how can coworkers in the marketplace setting move through that process? And what have you seen be effective? Yeah, you're, you're right on target. I mean, on the one hand, we talk about letting go, letting go of past mm -hmm. hurts and uh, anger and that kind of thing, because really, and it's not that you're supposed to forgive someone. I mean, yes, but, but it's also about you. It's for you yes. because it eats you up. It, you know, it creates all kinds of stress, 
hypertension, you lose sleep, you're more irritable, you're not fun to work around. And, and it also interferes with your ability to work collaboratively with another team member if you're holding on to grudges. And so we really help people walk through that and understand, you know, it's, it's for you. It, and, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about forgiveness. Lewis Smedes has written a number of books on forgiveness that are really helpful, yeah. that it's not saying, you know, they didn't do it. They didn't do it, uh, you know, do something wrong, it, that it's okay. It didn't hurt. That's not true. It, I mean, it hurt, it was wrong. Uh, and, but we need to let go so that we can move on with our life and, and move our energy forward rather than hang on and, and keeping it inside. Yeah. Yeah. Something that we really need in a lot of different organizations for sure. Well, I, uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time today. Um, such a blessing to think about people like yourself who are trying to bring the kingdom into the, into the workforce by healthier relationships, which, which I, I find to be so core to, to the, what the gospels are really calling us to do. And so thank you for what you do. Uh, <clears throat> I am excited for the, the zoom versions cause we need it. Um, I know that in our company anyway, we, we need to train and help people understand how in this new virtual world, how do you do it? How do you do it? Well, how do you build relationships? And that, you know, we're, we're still learning that I'm sure. Yeah. Um, any last comments, any last things that you'd want to make sure that we hear today? You know, just, uh, I would say this, I sometimes get frustrated with the, the Christian business leadership world and I'm part of this. So I can, but you know, we've got to remember it's not about being successful. It's about serving and being faithful. And when we serve our clients, well, it's going to work out. Okay. But, you know, sort of focusing on how to just be successful, it, it doesn't get us where we need to go heart wise. And so I just, you know, remind people that being a servant, whether you're a leader or you're, you know, a frontline worker, uh, serve your employer, serve your client well. And, and I, I think that's honoring to God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well said. Once again, thank you, Dr. White. You Have thank a great you. Rest of your day. All right. Thanks.